Welcome to the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group's Thursday Night Alcoholics and God Speaker Step Series. Let's have Dun- Spencer with our joke. Hey, I'm Spencer, an alcoholic joke teller. And I got another one from Take Me to Your Sponsor, the best jokes and cartoons that a grapevine can find. All right. A man walks up to the bar with an ostrich behind him, and the bartender asks for their order. The man says, I'll have a beer, and turns to the ostrich, what's yours? I'll have a beer too, says the ostrich. The bartender pours the beer and says, that'll be $3.40, please. And the man reaches into his pocket and pays with exact change. The next day, the man and the ostrich come again. This time, the bartender serves them two large scotches, and once again, the man pays with exact change. This becomes a routine until late one evening, the two enter again. This time, the bartender can't hold back his curiosity any longer. Excuse me, sir, he says. How do you manage to always come up with exact change every time? Well, says the man, several years ago, I was cleaning the attic, and I found this old lamp. When I rubbed it, a genie appeared and offered me two wishes. My first wish was that if I ever needed to pay for anything, I would just put my hand in my pocket and the right amount of money would be there. That's brilliant, says the bartender. Most people would wish for a million dollars, but you'll always be as rich as you want for as long as you live. You're a genius. Oh, one other thing, sir, adds the bartender. What's with the ostrich? The man replies, oh, my second wish was for a chick with long legs. (laughs) I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Rebecca. Thanks for joining us tonight. In a minute, we're going to start our two-minute meditation, so please take a moment to get situated. Please turn off all devices that make noise that might or will distract others. Take this time to get connected to God, let the craziness of the day drift away, and ask God to help you stay focused on the step study tonight. Is everybody ready? If so, let's start the meditation.
the fog light prayer. God, there's a solution from the big book, page 17. The tremendous fact for everyone of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. I've asked TJ to read Appendix 2, Spiritual Experience. We read this because the main purpose of the 12 steps is to have one, so it is kind of important to know what one is. Hi, everybody. My name is TJ, and I'm an alcoholic. Uh, This is a spiritual experience. The term spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which, upon careful reading shows that the the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholics has manifested itself among us in many different forms. Yet it is true that our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of sudden and spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness, followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among a rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of us experience, most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life, that such a change could hardly be have brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think this awareness of of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God-consciousness. Most emphatically, we wish that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided that he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are, in, but these are indispensable. There is a principle with, with which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. And that principle is contempt prior to investigation. Herbert Spencer. Please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. This is a tech-free meeting, so set your phones to airplane or meeting mode or just turn them off. And tonight we have Paulette with her session three. She's been killing it, so let's give her a good welcome.
Thank you. Spence? Okay. I love this joke. And here's why I love this joke. We got technical difficulties. <laughs> I used to flash myself out when I was in the bars. Now I'm flashing myself at AA meetings. For the right reasons. Bring the message of hope. I'm flashing. <laughs> uh, you just never know, people. Uh, keep coming. Uh, my technical is my technical difficulties. Thank you. Thumbs up, Spencer. I love this joke. Uh, out of all the other jokes that you said, you know why? It fits me to a T. I'm an alcoholic who have always, prior to coming into this way of life, shortchanged myself. I have always limited the God of my understanding. So I understand when that, when that man said, exact change, because that's exactly how I limited the God of my understanding. And then not being specific in asking for a partner. God, so I get a bird. <laughs> you know what I mean? Kissed a lot of frogs, you know. <laughs> Did you ask the God of your understanding? Were you specific, Paulette? He should know. I shouldn't have to be that specific. So that one is my favorite to, for so far. Thank you. Identify so much. I am an alcoholic, and I'd like to welcome you to the Alcoholics and God group. This is a wonderful group. By the way, I found the word, the terminology, the name of this group in the big book. Um, so now I know where Mike Chase got it from, because I am a, a part of a big book study on Sunday night um, with some folks who um, um, continue to study the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And... Um, and so I saw it the other night, and I said, oh, that's where Mike got it from. Nothing is original, you know. <laughs> we steal it from the big book um, or the 12 and 12 um, or any other AA conference-approved books. But that's okay because we are seekers, and, um, and we continue to find new things that's been waiting for us to discover. And, um, and, and, and we remain curious and, um, and I find being curious is a good thing today on spiritual matter. And that's one of the things that allows me to continue to grow in accordance to the likeness of my creator. Um, tonight we are on the third step, and it's a beautiful step. It's the step that scared a bit Jesus out of me. Fourth step didn't scare me. Third step did. It's a powerful step, and it's vital, and it's crucial, and it's important. And um, a whole lot of things that is tied up in that third step that I want to get to. So let me get my books. And those of you who are new to this way of life, you're going to need some essential tools. You cannot wing it. You cannot trust your memory. You need the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Another alcoholic with a working knowledge of the 12 steps and the 12 traditions and the 12 concepts. Um, just that works it into their daily life. Not just read it off the, the shades, but work it. Practical experience of taking them off the shades and putting them in your life. And that's 
one of the things that I would like to just suggest to you strongly if you're joining us for the first time in this way of life, because it is what I live by today. I have my tools. The only time they don't work is when I refuse or become unwilling to use them. And if you're an alcoholic like me, it doesn't matter how long you stay sober. There are times in this alcoholic life where I become unwilling just because I can be unwilling. All of a sudden, I am decided I'm unwilling. And then I pay the price for it. And today, I don't blame anyone. Back then, I used to. Today, I know it is me who does that. So let me get my book without causing any technical difficulties. <laughs> I get my book out. Uh, but, um, yep, got it. I got it, my 12 and 12. Okay. All right, let's start by, um, with my prayer. So I can invite the God of my understanding into this gathering. This is my favorite room. I really love this room. It keeps us intimate and close together. You cannot be alone to, in this room. Even when you don't want to look at anybody, you have to look at somebody. And you may not know them, but you have to look at them. And that's a big deal in AA. Um, to be seen, you know. So, anyway, please indulge me. I'm going to read my... Um, Set aside prayer. Many versions of it, but this one was given to me by my previous sponsor, Dorothy Harris, and I still love it today because it speaks to my spirit. It's called a set aside prayer, and it goes like this Dear God, please set aside everything I think I know about myself. This book, my disease, these steps. And especially about you, dear God. So that I may have an open mind. And a new experience. With all these things. Please help me to see the truth. Thank you for your indulgence. I am an alcoholic. And I am a member of the One Day at a Time group of Alcoholics Anonymous. Located in Miramar. My home group meets every Wednesday night at 8 p.m. I am sponsored and I sponsor. To me, this is the difference between work and working. I do have a sober date, and my sober date is January 28, 1995, and my name is Paulette. Hello, my fellow travelers. That's also from the big book. I didn't make it up. Ah, uh, I want to start tonight by, ah, uh, thank you. I have to read the step as it's written. Because I have a disease that tells me that I need to fix that. <laughs> there, there are words in there that I may not like. So my disease says, if you take the words that you don't like out of it, you will be better able to work the steps. You'll be motivated to do it. Or you may want to put a comma or a period where one isn't. All of these thoughts can happen to me if I don't read it as it's written and I hear it out loud. 
It's the kind, that's the powerful disease I have. And so I continue to read them no matter how long God has granted me sobriety because it keeps me humble, keeps me open, and I can see the truth. So step three says, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Now, by the way, God, as we understood him, is written in italics. When Bill wrote this, italics was expensive. So he had to pay extra for it, which means it's very important. So every time you see any words or phrase within the books that are written in italics, remember, it is important. Paid a lot of money to get it there so we could pay attention. Because he is like us. If you don't get my attention, you've lost me. Uh, immediately, I shut you out. And so that's important. And now I'll talk about that, that part of that step as I um, get into it. Um, now we are about to embark upon... The first or the rudimentary journey into the word faith. We're not there yet. We just got over the beliefs part of it. Mental acceptance and habit. Into putting trust, placing trust into something or someone. Ah, that's the belief that I have when I came in and stayed with you for a while. And you guys demonstrate that. Uh, my friend... Just reminded me about the last line in the, in the 12 and 12 on the second step. That every assurance, every assurance, and I'm going to read it because it's important as we recap. Um, every assurance, it says, true humility and an open mind can lead us to faith. And every AA meeting is an assurance that God will restore us to sanity, sound thinking, proportion, right size. If we rightly relate ourselves to him. Now, that's what she reminded me when she saw me and greeted me tonight. And I, want, I didn't even know I was going to start with it, but it's fitting. So here we are. We are working through our way through the 12 steps, a design for living. And they're set up accordingly to this formula. It's a formula that we have been given. In step one, I became willing to change because... I had to realize that I was powerless on my own and I could not change my situation that I have found myself in. Powerlessness. Not only was change necessary, powerlessness was something I had to accept. A hundred percent. Step two says I had to believe, come to believe. I'm still coming to believe as I continue to practice this way of life. But step two says I come to believe mental acceptance 
or a habit. In my mind, I've just opened my mind a little bit more to hear what you guys have to say about your belief system. Some of it seeps in a little at a time unconsciously. Now, I have to tell you something, and I hope you remember that I thought, I, I, I think of this design for living as a, as a house. I like to use Bill terminology, one of them, in architectural terms. I really do. It speaks to me because I can vividly see it. And I have an active imagination. And so I can see this house that I'm building. The first slab of concrete was this willingness and honesty that was laid down. That's firm. There is no holes in it. I wasn't skimping on the sand. I wasn't bargaining with the cement. A hundred percent. This slab of concrete for step one. But underneath all of that slab of concrete, there is a silent river for me that runs through it. And that silent river was my first introduction to humility. And I had no idea about that yet because I could not be introduced to humility back then because it was not something that I am familiar with in the terminology that it is today. Humility means I'm a sucker. <laughs> And I'm vulnerable. That you're going to get the best of me. That's my thinking of what it meant back then. But that's why it's silently running underneath these steps. And I wasn't aware of it. And thank God I wasn't aware of it. I might have balked. And then the second step, which is the cornerstone with the believing. Now you look at that kind of rudimental, um, rudimentary form of housing, you don't see much, do you? You just see this slab of concrete with a cornerstone, and it doesn't look like much. But then he comes to this, and he says here, he says, I have to make a decision on this belief that I picked up in two about this higher power thing. Now, remember, you have to understand for an alcoholic like me who had no concept of what all of this was about. I came into the rooms and you guys educated me. Thank you, God. I was teachable somewhat. But step three is telling me this. It says I need to make a decision based on that belief. So now I'm going to go over to... 60, page 60, big book. That I was alcoholic and could not manage my own life. That probably no human power could relieve my alcoholism. And that God could and would if he was sought. Being convinced. What am I being convinced about? I'm powerless over this disease. My life is out of control. <laughs> That no matter what my family did, or my loved ones, or my co-workers, institutions, I could not stay sober, nor did I want to. That's another thing about my disease, even when I was beaten down. But it says that I could find this power if only I believed just a little 
this is the amazing thing about this way of life that we have been given. It is just a little at a time. Piecemeal, Bill Wilson calls it, and I like that term, because sometimes I still have to do it piecemeal at a time, depending on what I need to accept. And so then he talks about it, and then he says, being convinced of all of those three I need to turn my will and my life over to God as I understood him. And then he asked me a wonderful question. Just what do we mean by that and just what do we do? Interesting, isn't it? Because all this time I've been sitting in meetings taking and taking. I'm an alcoholic who is just listening to all of you sad stories. And saying to myself, thank you, Jesus, I'm not like that. <laughs> and I'm comparing myself, you know, comparing, I'm not that bad, you know. And then somebody says something else, and I said, Jesus, you need a meeting, you know. And I'm there, <laughs> I don't know about you. That's how my thinking was, even after seeing my disease as its worst, I'm still trying to build my self esteem off your back. You know, I'm telling you this because I am sharing my experience, strength, and hope with living these steps as I have lived it and continue to live it. So he says, what do I mean by, just what do I mean by that? And what I do with that is I take the steps apart, bit by bit, piecemeal at a time. So let's talk about what he says, turn our will what is my will? What is my will? Oh, and Bill, Bill has so many different things on it, but I will tell you what it is from what he says. He says, first of all, my will is going to be found. And here is a one of the, you find this a couple of times because the steps are designed in a very specific way. Which means you cannot take it cafeteria style. Which means you've got to work it in order. But ever so often, you will skip over to another step to find the meaning of what he used in the prior step. This is a step study after all, using my experience, strength, and hope to tell you how it works for me. So if you go to the 12 and 12, Bill Wilson gives me exactly what the will is talks about it he says creation gives us instincts for a purpose without them I wouldn't be a complete human being if men and women didn't exert themselves to be secure in their persons made no effort to harvest food or to construct shelter there would be no survival if they didn't reproduce the earth wouldn't be populated if there was no social instincts, if men cared nothing for society or for one another, there would be no society. So these desires for sex relations, for material and emotional security, for companionship are perfectly necessary and right and surely God-given. Which means I was born with this. 
I was given this. My natural desire is my self-will. It is part of what I was given. What happened to me as an alcoholic in active addiction was that it far exceeded its function because I misuse it. How did I misuse it? Well, here it is. He says, one of the things that happens to me in step three, when I look at it, he says, and I had to laugh at this because it's so true for me. I talk about um, the will first before I, I put self beside it. My will is my thinking. If I think it, left unchecked, it's only a matter of time before that thinking manifests itself into action. Oh, I know, you're with me, because you know, you're here. <laughs> this is how my disease works. It starts with a thought. And that thought is nurtured, lovingly, taken care of, that till it becomes an obsession. And when it becomes an obsession, then I start to act out. So my thinking becomes my will. What is my life? My life is the sum total of those thoughts or thinking that eventually put into action becomes my whole life. So up until the point before I got to you, it was my thinking that gave me the life I had when I crashed up and washed up on your, de on your doorstep. My thinking manifested in the sum total of my actions gave me the life that I had when I walked into the do doors of AA. Now think about that. Think about that. Not really great thinking, would you say? Because we were, I was bankrupt. Not only was I spiritually bankrupt, I was emotionally bankrupt, financially bankrupt, person, person, relationships, my God-given ability and desire to have relationship is gone. Nil. You know, I came into AA and I didn't like women. It was like, Jesus, who could stand you all? <laughs> Why? Bankrupt. Bankrupt. Some total of my thinking. People was Thank God they didn't put me away for my thoughts. <laughs> because that acted out would have landed me in prison. And so he's telling me this. It's my natural God-given desire or instincts. I was given these. What are they? What are these? And here it goes. What are these Natural, God-given instincts. He says, here it is. And I want to tell you that it's important for, for me to say it out loud because this is what happens to me when I forget. 
these natural desires or basic instincts that separates me from the lower animal. There's two kinds of will in my experience, the human will and God's will. Therefore, if I am in AA right now and bankrupt, my self-will cannot overcome my self-will. In other words, one sick mind cannot help a sick mind. So I need something. That's why step two is important. A power greater than myself that could restore me to sound thinking. And so what are these basic instincts? He put them in three categories. It's important that I tease it apart in step three. Because step three is so vital and crucial. And it's, it's very, very important for me to remember that I don't have a whole lot of time to sit and think about whether I'm going to take it or not. Because he talks about the people who did fail to enlarge in their spiritual life. Talks about the one, the businessman who went on a business trip. And all of a sudden, he decided to have some milk with whiskey. Failed to enlarge in his spiritual life. Talks about the man who retired with 25 years. Put his, his shoes, his slippers under his bed. Next day he's drunk, uh, ready for the insane asylum. Failed to enlarge in his spiritual life. I take these things to heart because I am not exempt. And so one of the things that I like to do for myself when I reread step three, I look at my natural instincts. Three categories. Social. Companionship. Wanting to belong, to be accepted. Natural. Prestige. Wanting to be recognized or to be accepted as a leader. Natural. God-given. Self-esteem. What I think of myself. Whether you think high of yourself or too low of yourself. No balance. No balance. Lack of proportion. Pride. An excessive or unjustified opinion of oneself. Oh, I identify with that. Either it is positive, which is love of self, or negative, which is hating myself. Personal relationships. My relationship with another human being and the world around me. Ambitions. My pains to gain acceptance and power and recognition and prestige. That's my social instincts, God-given. And it is the security instincts. He says this one is material. Wanting money, building, property, clothing in order to secure my future, God-given. Emotional, based on my needs for another person. Or persons. Must be talking about me. Because the more persons I had for my emotional stability, it never worked. Some tend to dominate. Some are overly dependent. Not I. Or others. But my emotional security is God-given. Ambitions. My plan to gain material wealth. Dominate 
or depend on others. No balance. Then he talks about sex instincts. Spoiler alert. Some of you will think you don't have a sex inventory. Spoiler alert. It's coming up. Um, <laughs> acceptable. Our sex lives. Do I possess a sex life that is acceptable by society? Or the principle of God of my understanding? Hidden. Do I have a sex life that is hidden from society? And hidden from everyone else? And my ambition. Plan regarding my sex life. Either acceptable or hidden. Those are the three categories Bill Wilson puts it in. And how I use those is what happens to me far exceeded its function. I am selfish, self-centered to the core. And in order for me to feed whatever my thinking tells me I need. See, every time I figured out that I need something from one of these categories, my mind starts thinking how to go about it. And when I start thinking about how to go about it, one or two or three or maybe a whole family will be harmed by my actions because I have to feed self. Selfishness and self-centeredness is the core of my disease. So I take my natural desires God-given and I use it as a weapon to feed self. Every time I demand more of one of these instincts, I am going to step on one of you toes and you're going to retaliate and I wonder why I'm paranoid. And so he says, here is the thing. He says, and this is from um, Big Book, page 37. So these desires for sex relation and for material and emotional security, for companionship, are perfectly necessary and right. So he gave me these things. But see, I have no concept of what is necessary or what is right. Because I'm already with this obsession in my mind of feeding self. My thinking. Talk about what Dr. Silkworth talks about. Every time I am irritable, ill at ease and discontented, I'm about to step on your toes to feed self. That's the thought. That's why it says it's the first drink that gets me drunk. Because I don't think about bending elbow. I think about what kind of romantic, wonderful, rosy Think thoughts that comes behind a drink. And I, my mind refused to go to the dark side. It tells me these things. And so what he says is, yet these instincts that are so necessary and God-given, it is for my existence, it's for me to live. What did I do? Often far exceeds its proper function. These are words that are foreign to me. Proper, far exceeds, because I am the child of more. Proper, 
That's a word that I used to use when I was in elementary school. Proper. He said that is they get out of control. And now these necessary and God-given instincts become destructive. And here's another thing. Out of that destruction comes a four-letter word that has dogged me for a long time. Fear. F-E-A-R. Dog my every moment. Fear. To protect my right to have these God-given instincts. And it says here, it all starts in my thinking. And fear conspire with my pride. It escalates. And the next, and the more, more, more I feel the fear, the more I'm going to act out. And in no time, I'm off again doing some destructive things. This is, the, uh, this is the mind of mine. I don't know about yours. It's mine. And so here he says, he says, so most of my, my illness is a form of spiritual sickness. And so if I have a spiritual sickness that starts in my mind, then therefore recovery has to happen in my mind. And so he's saying, here it is. I have to look at this. Now, I wrote this down because I want you to understand that when I start to change my belief system slightly, there's another word that I, come, I bump into. Trust. T-R-U-S-T. Trust. A firm belief in the re reliability of the truth. We alcoholics don't have an, a relationship with the truth. We are delusional, irrational. At least I am. Left to my own devices. So he says, it also not only is trust a firm belief in the reliability of the truth. It is also an ability. That's a skill. It is also strength. Which is power. Of something or someone. So that power. Greater than myself. Is now becoming to take shape. It's taking form. Because now I have attached. Trust. To this higher power. So not only is my house being formed, but I'm putting some nuts and bolts to this house. This framework is not so rickety after all, because now I got trust. Because the God of my understanding is the architect. I am the builder. And so what happens is now, unless my thinking changes, nothing changes. Old timers used to say, and a few of them are looking at me, nothing changes if nothing changes. So if my thinking is not changing, then nothing else in my life will change. It's the same old thinking. And so what happened is, my self-will has brought me to you, and so now I need to do it. Here's another word, surrender. Nasty word. <laughs> not in my thinking. Because surrender means you are just a punk. 
not waving the white flag, but in spiritual context and terminology, surrender means that I am giving up and I don't have to run no more. My life is being changed by just adopting these simple belief system. And this is what is happening in the form of spiritual realms. You think you're not living a spiritual life. I tell you, every time you come to an AA meeting, it is a step forward. You just don't know it yet, thank God, because if you knew it, you probably would mess it up. And so what happens is that I am going to be turning my will, my thinking, over to the care of God as I understand God. Now, this is a power And I want to take some time, a minute, to to tell you this about this God as I understand God. Alcoholics Anonymous is not a religious program. Tells me that. It is a spiritual program. It is a program that leads me to the God of my understanding. How I choose to look at that God and form that God is my own individual adventure. There's no program or organization that I have known to date. That gives me that freedom. So what it is. He's not telling me about religious practices. With rituals. And word and reading. He's saying to me. Find a God. Of your own choosing. And then when I take that third step. And say I offer myself to this God. Of my own understanding. He says. It is better to meet this God. On your own. Or else somebody, with somebody else who misunderstands you. That's a freedom. So choices are being given to me from the moment I surrender in Alcoholics Anonymous. You think you haven't been making choices? Spoiler alert. Every time you come to an AA meeting, you've made a choice. You just don't know it. So here it is. Another choice. But here is, this is key. In fact, Bill Wilson calls this, the third step, the keystone. What is a keystone? Remember, I'm talking about building a house in which I am going to be living in. A keystone is a wedge stone object that locks, in the, locks everything in. It is in the archway of every home. And here's a funny thing about this. It's not funny, ha-ha. This keystone is so powerful that it takes a load off every other stone that is built in the house. Wouldn't you want to have a higher power like that? And he says, you're going to walk through this wedge stone, keystone to freedom. If only you do one thing. He says, if you turn your thinking and your actions over to care, another key word, C-A-R-E. All my life I've been looking for people to care about me. I just didn't know how to ask. And he says, care. What is this word care that he's talking about? And so I had to, I tell you this, he says, And I love the way in which the word care is is snuck into there. Because this is what, not only is this care important to this alcoholic, but this care is somebody who's going to be, or something, 
or some power, is going to be paying special attention to me. If you are an egotistical, self-absorbed person like I am, I like the word special attention. (laughs) This power is going to be paying special attention to me. And not only is it going to pay special attention to me, it's going to be taking care of me in such a way that I will also be avoid in risk. Now I'm a risk management risk manager by trade, so I know what it is to mitigate risk. And this higher power tells me care, paying special attention to my well-being, so that I will be able to avoid all risk and danger. It is giving me that. Now, if you're an alcoholic like me, and I suspect you are, I would. I want guarantees. And this is a guarantee. That care in itself gives me my insurance policy. If I turn my thinking over and my life over, then I get back that care. Which means, perfectly fine for me now, that all I have to do in step three is to make a decision. After all of that, it comes down to a simple dis- dis- decision. That's all step three is. But it's a dis- decision that must be done timely. The window of opportunity closes very quickly. Because we can sit on the information gain in two and in one. And we can talk ourselves out of doing step three. Or we can also talk our way into waiting. Because we are fearful. And what happens is the information that we gathered in two and one changes because of my mind. My mind is a very, very, very dangerous place. And so uh, that window is open. It's just open for a brief moment, time. And so what happens is I have to make that decision. That's what it is. To turn my will and my life over. I'm going to tell you something that happens to me recently. And I think I'm going to end with that. If you, I hope I do. I'll get the time not signed from my friend over there. But I think I can do it. After all, I have a God that's powerful than him. <laughs> okay. Now, I'm going to tell you what happened to me recently. Because I live this. So when I share my experience, strength, and hope, not only do I take it from the book, I put it into my life, and I can see it today. Back then, I couldn't. But I've got to give you hope. Because if, if you have hope, I'll get it back when I need it. February 27th, the man of my life, 41 years, Edward, that was, that's his birthday. He died a year and a couple of months ago. And I've been doing pretty well considering. Um, A lot of you have given me a lot of your strength and and hope. And you have loved me unconditionally. And so I have been doing well in my humble opinion. People say I wear my grief with grace. I take it as a compliment to the God of my own understanding. And so what happened was I've got some new leaders at my job. 
And I wanted to have prestige. I wanted them to respect me. And I wanted them to see how wonderfully smart I am. In other words, I want to impress them. And what happened is, and this is what happens to me. In my quest for prestige, I forgot that I made the decision. But it, well, underneath that decision that I forgot was a motive. And the motive was, for weeks I have felt this tidal wave of emotions from my grief. And my thinking tells me I can outrun it. Because I don't like to see how certain people grieve. It offends me. Because I don't want to be seen with wearing the black shroud of grief. That every time you see me, you're like, oh God, here she comes. That's my thinking. And so I'm trying to outrun this tidal wave of grief. And so underneath that motive lies that river. Don't want them to see me feeling this way. I'm not going to crumble. So I found something else to latch on to, which is to promote myself by the seeking prestige in the eyes of the people who I work for. I want to impress them. And my thinking left unchecked, even though I spoke to my sponsor, even though I spoke to my one, of, one of my friends who I considered one of the spiritual women in AA, they are my dear friend Heather, talked about how I was going to do this presentation and how I planned and how I got my PowerPoint. And, and, and both of my sponsor and my friend Heather said to me, Perch, you're going to be great. And I was like, okay. And I go to work. And when I go to work, I forgot to check which one of the presentation was coming first. And it was the backwards. I had it backwards. So the one that I prepared for first was the one that is going last. I paid no attention to the first presentation. So of course I balked. And I stumbled on something that was so simple as doing a presentation that was common ground for what I do. I could not get the video to be shown. A simple thing as a video. And I crumbled. What happens to me after that. Was three days in my house. Without talking to anyone. Self will run riot. My thinking says. You dare not let them see you grieve. You dare not let them see you feeling the loss of someone you love. You dare not. And because my thinking says that, I find ways to pretty it up, to dress it up, to make it look like I am above it. I forgot what step three says. This is why I say to you, I am an alcoholic who is a hundred percent self-driven. How can I expect to be a hundred percent God-directed in overnight? That's delusional. I have to take this piece meal at a time. This is why my third step prayer is not a one and done. It's every day. 
every day I honestly and sincerely ask the God of my understanding to help me to turn this thinking over to him in his hand so he can take care of me and put me in the right size, the right mind, therefore right action. Because every time I sat around, I always have an ulterior motive under ulterior motive under ulterior motive. The longer I stay sober, the more my disease is busy. And so three days I stayed home. First day I couldn't move. Crushed by self-propulsion. And I'm 29 years sober. This is not a one and done. It's every day. Sometimes every minute. And I got up. And I emerged out. To step out into. Didn't even want to pray. All I could say is. Please help me God. This is real. This is about living. This way of life. I want to be free. I don't want to have remorse, guilt, shame, and more importantly, fear. I want you to see who I am. A human being trying to live a spiritual experience in which I have never lived before. So some days I falter and there are lessons learned. So I have to be careful of what I'm chasing. Whether it's financial security, emotional health, or otherwise. They're God-given. I don't know how to use it yet. So I better ask. How best can I serve thee? Thy will, not mine, be done. Thank you. And let's give it up for Paulette again. And here's Brandon with our secretary's report. My name is Brandon, and I'm your recovered alcoholic secretary. In keeping with the seventh tradition, which states that every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions, the baskets are now going around. We also have QR codes on the chair backs. I've asked Brett to come up and read the recovered statement. We read this notice to explain why many people in AA identify as recovered rather than recovering and what it exactly means to be recovered. Brett, alcoholic. We are not cured of alcoholism. Recovered, but not cured. That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our lifetime. But we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than in the body. Page 23. We are now saying where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. Uh, 1940s style sponsorship from forward to the second edition. 
Alcoholics Anonymous of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried. 50% got sober at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, and came to believe and experience is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75% success rate. Um, if anyone is needing a sponsor, please raise your hand. Okay, we got two. You can come up and stand by the lovely piano, and somebody will come up here and help you. And then can the recovered alcoholics please raise your hand? These are the people you should hang around. Um, and then screen announcements. Intergroup is where you can buy AA-related literature and medallions. Intergroup is also responsible for creating our where and when and scheduling the AA hotline. Stop by and visit them. Next. Uh, Broward County Institutions Committee is responsible for bringing meetings into places where people like us can't get out to an AA meeting, such as jails, detoxes, and rehabs. They meet monthly to organize the meeting schedules at the 12th Step House. Next. Uh, and then we have Broward County Intergroup 68th Appreciation Banquet in April. Next. Uh, volunteer opportunities from the third Friday of every month from 5 to 8. Um, yeah, I'm next. Uh, we have Paulette till May 2nd. She's killed it every week. So. And then Monday is our big book study. Um, 7.15, we meet promptly here, and then fellowship at 6.30 in this very room. And then we have CDs, mugs, large print big books, the Little Red Book, and Big Book Dictionaries for sale. We meet here every Thursday, starting promptly at 7.15, and we ask that you be courteous and ready to begin at the sound of the bells. We'll see you next week. We have tonight's session and all past speaker podcasts at alcoholicandgod.org. I'd like to invite everyone to our Monday night big book study. And those who wish to thank tonight's speaker, please line up down the center aisle. Now let's all do the Lord's Prayer in our seats.
Revolution. These possessions that I have amount to nothing at all. Go 
trying On the rain, so stop your singing, baby, and be happy again. Yes, and keep on smiling. Shine, 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 let it shine, 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 let it shine. 
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go. God bless. I love you, Mike Chase. Bye.
know this one, don't you?
Yeah. 